Have you ever thought about belts? Now, most of us know that we've seen the picture of St. Nicholas or Santa Claus, you know, the red suit with the white fur, and usually he's got a big black belt. It's usually, you know, three or four, maybe six inches wide. And have you ever wondered about his belt? you ever wondered about why Santa Claus wears a belt? It's not just to hold up his pants, I guarantee you. But what about the belts in your closet? Do you have belts? Some people these days wear belts. Some people don't. Sometimes they're pretty wide and sometimes they're kind of narrow. Sometimes they're black or brown or white or, you know, maybe even natural leather that's kind of tooled. There are all sorts of belts available. And this morning we're thinking about belts because that's the part of our Advent in Plain Sight that we're reading about this week. But as we read about belts, Isaiah also talks about belts. He doesn't start out talking about belts, but you'll see throughout the um, passage that we see this morning. So listen to Isaiah chapter 11, starting with verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom, of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see with or decide what he hear, by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. The righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will lie down, lie with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. The young child put his hand into a viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea this is the word of the Lord thanks be to God so Isaiah starts out by talking about a stump and how shoots come out from this stump and then he talks about roots and I couldn't help but think when I was uh, growing up about the roots that my dad would buy at the nursery. He would buy bare root roses or bare root trees, and then we would go out and, you know, plant them. And it was usually winter, much like today is kind of winter. And then you would wait, and you would wait. And as the sun eventually warmed the earth in the spring, so the roots began to spread. And finally, our tree and our roses would grow. And so when I read this, I thought, well, Stumps don't usually have shoots. I mean, I can understand about, you know, bare roots, but how do you get stumps to, you know, have shoots? Because whenever I saw a stump, it was just this, you know, thing in the earth, and it was just wood there. And then, now this is a while ago, and for some of you I know you weren't born quite yet, but in 1991, the hills of the Oakland and Berkeley were covered with eucalyptus trees, and there was a terrible fire 
and it burned all of those trees. And so all we had left on those, I was living in the Bay Area, and all we had left were stumps, just blackened stumps. And the authorities wondered, well, how do we replant all of those eucalyptus trees? I mean, it was an entire forest of trees, and they had no idea how to do it. And so as they are meeting and you know going through their various committees and thinking about how do we pay for all this and whatnot, the seasons begin to turn. And come wintertime, the stumps begin to grow. And they set forth shoots. And now if you look at the Berkeley and Oakland Hills, you'll see once again a forest of eucalyptus that has come again from the stumps that were there. And so also the stumps that were left by the kingdom of David. You see, Jesse was David's father. If you don't remember from the Old Testament, you might remember from Matthew's um, genealogy, the very first chapter of Matthew tells us about, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. One of those is Jesse is the father of David. And so that's why this is called the stump of Jesse. And the Israelites were longing for the Davidic kingdom to come again. They wanted to have it restored. They wanted to have the power and the royalty come back into their lives. They wanted to recreate it. And here they saw Isaiah prophesying about that coming kingdom. And the Messiah was the one who was going to come. The Messiah was the one who would be there to restore it. But by the time that Jesus was born, the divinity kingdom wasn't very much. It was occupied by Rome, and the people were oppressed, and there wasn't much of a kingdom in terms of it actually being Israel. It was more a Roman kingdom than anything else. And it had been brought very low. You can tell how low it had been brought when a carpenter from Nazareth journeyed to his hometown, or the town of his forefathers in Bethlehem, with his bride-to-be, Mary. They were poor. They were obscure. They weren't exactly on David's throne. But they come to Bethlehem, and it is there that the Jesus is born that Isaiah talks about. And in verse 2, he says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Now, you have to understand, when they say rest... It means the Spirit will abide with him. It will always be with him. Because prior to this, the Spirit would come. It would come on various kings. It would come on prophets. It came on the King David. But then the Spirit would depart. The Spirit wasn't always there. But Isaiah says that the Spirit of the Lord will rest on the Messiah. He will not depart. And so he says, now the Spirit is one of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and power, of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. You see, when he says the spirit of wisdom and understanding will be with him, he's talking about this individual seeing the big picture, not being, you know, really, you know, only focusing on the little details, but rather the big picture. He also doesn't focus necessarily on the details of what he sees. He can see beyond into what people's motives might be. And he thoroughly understands the business that he is supposed to be about. 
the business of bringing God's kingdom near to the people. And he's going to have the spirit of counsel and of power. Wouldn't you love to be counseled by Jesus? You know, you can be. It's called prayer. You can be counseled in terms of you're unsure. You're not quite ready to do that. You're hesitant. Or maybe you're just open and waiting for God to direct you. God is there, ready to give counsel. But not only will Jesus have counsel, he'll also have power. That is the power of God, the might of God to do a great undertaking. We know eventually that undertaking will lead to the cross. But in the meantime, Jesus is confronted with a lot of difficulty and stubbornness that he has to break through. He has to somehow get these people to understand that maybe the kingdom that they're longing for, the Davidic kingdom that they're waiting for, is not quite the one that he's bringing. It isn't that the Rome's going to be overthrown. It isn't that suddenly, you know, the power of government is going to be different. But rather, there will be a spiritual kingdom established. The kingdom of God will come to him, to us all. And then Isaiah says that he'll also have the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Well, we know that Jesus in his lifetime throughout the Gospels quotes scripture, explains scripture, rebukes others with scripture, listens to what scripture has to say. But have you ever stopped to think? Jesus was a carpenter. He didn't have any formal education much not beyond elementary school at least. And, you know, you would wonder why would somebody who was a carpenter, good carpenters, you know, he knew how to build things, but he didn't necessarily know or was taught scripture. And yet, because of who he was and because of the way his parents were so faithful in taking him to temple, he learned scripture. He learned it in ways that I wish... I could learn too because he learned it with a very deep understanding of that scripture and then he took that learning and he shared it with others you see when they talk about the fear of the Lord it's not so much being afraid of something as being in awe of something of knowing that God Almighty has come to earth that God Almighty has touched each one of us through his spirit that he has a special place for each one of us that in all of the undertaking that Jesus is involved in he is there with a zeal for the Lord because of his awe of God the Father and he delights in that and then Isaiah goes on to describe government He talks about how this coming Messiah, this Christ, by the way, Messiah and Christ is just a question of, you're going to say it in Hebrew, you're going to say it in Greek. Messiah is the Hebrew and Christ is the Greek. So this coming Messiah will not judge with his eyes or decide by what his ears hear. He's not going to look on the common appearance. He's not going to look to see if somebody is famous or are they high up in the hierarchy of their society. But rather he's going to judge with righteousness, especially the poor and the needy that he encounters.
because the Messiah will judge the secrets of people according to God's truth. Because Jesus perfectly understands what it is he is to be about, and that is to bring them the kingdom of God near to people as he goes about in his ministry. Righteousness should be his strength. And everything that he does will be informed by that righteousness. And so Isaiah says that he will have a belt of righteousness. Now, that belt is there, not so much for clothing, but as a reminder. A reminder that this is the way things are supposed to be. That the righteousness of God is surrounded by that belt. That the belt upholds justice for the poor. But if you ever wonder, how does Christ bring justice into his very being? Anselm, who was back in the 11th century, you have to forgive me, I'm a church history person. And Anselm wrote about the incarnation and how important it was for what Jesus was coming to do. He said, if God makes a new man, not of Adam's race, then this person will not belong to the human family, and therefore ought not to make atonement for that family, because he never belonged to it. So the Messiah had to be human. And if any other human rescued humans from eternal death, the humans would have to be the servant of that being. And so as Jesus was to rescue humans from death, so he was God incarnate. Because you see, we needed the incarnation to join the divine holiness to human nature. And when the word was made flesh, as John's gospel tells us, Christ assumed a human nature. Now, that nature is different from the divine nature, and yet they were united in a holy mystery that we don't always understand. But it is what we celebrate coming this Christmas, is uniting of the divine with the human, of letting the divine come down and dwell amongst us, and helping us to understand what it was that God wanted us to be. So Christ has on the righteousness belt. But he also talks, Isaiah also talks about faithfulness, how to sash around his waist. Now the picture we have are all belts, but you can think of belts also as, you know, those pieces of clothing that you, cloth that you might put around you as a sash. And so the sash is there to demonstrate the faithfulness. Because Jesus, in his righteousness and his faithfulness, he's interested in bringing miracles, not data. He's not concerned with how many people are, you know, on this group or that group. He's concerned with, are people coming to faith? Jesus is concerned about relationships and not transactions. Have you ever thought about that? You know, this is the season when we're buying different kinds of things and usually that's a commercial transaction. We go and we select whatever it is we want and then we go up to the cash register and we you know, pay for it and, and that's a transaction that, that we get goods and we give money, that we transact. But that's not what Jesus is interested in. 
Jesus is interested in a relationship. He's interested in making sure that our relationship with God is right and that our relationship with each other is one of faithfulness and of support and of comfort and of challenge. There's an Indonesian custom that I love. I learned it from my brother. You know, when we meet people, we shake their hands. You know, I shook some hands this morning. Maybe you did too when you were greeting people during our passing of the peace. But when an Indonesian shakes hands, then they put their hand over their heart because they're taking that relationship into their very being. They're acknowledging that this isn't a transaction, but rather it's a relationship that I want to continue, that I want to remember, that I want to value. And I've always liked that. And so as we go about our different ways of trying to follow Jesus, well, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to follow and to cleave to him no matter what we do. Sometimes it's hard to gird oneself for the actions that are in front of us. But Isaiah and Jesus call on us to do that, to gird ourselves with belts of righteousness and belts of faithfulness, and if necessary, a belt of war for righteousness when we see unrighteousness around us. Isaiah goes on to seemingly talk about things that don't seem to fit. He talks about the wolf lying with the lamb and the leopard with the goat and the calf with the lion. All of those seem very impossible, you know. And yet, when righteousness and faithfulness ultimately reign, even the enemies that are animals will learn to lie down together. And the knowledge of the God of God will be everywhere because he is bringing faithfulness and righteousness to us. And then as we look at belts, we can turn to the passage that Faith read to us about John the Baptist. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never thought John the Baptist was all that appealing. He's not one of my favorite characters in the New Testament. Why? Well, for one thing, he gets beheaded, and I'm not anxious to do that. Um, the other thing is, if, if you listened carefully, um, he has clothes of camel's hair, um, we're not talking about the nice Angora type stuff, you know. We're talking about rough. We're talking about, you know, prickly. And that's what he wears. And it, did you catch what he eats? Wild honey. I can go for wild honey. I like honey in my tea. But locusts? You know? Bugs? I don't like bugs when they're alive, let alone eat them, you know? So John the Baptist is not one of my favorites. But John the Baptist wore a leather belt. His belt was unadorned as far as we know. It was functional. It held the, you know, um, camel hair cloak that he had on. But John the Baptist is faithful. He is the one who points to people. John the Baptist doesn't point to the priests or the Sadducees. He doesn't point to the Romans. He doesn't point to powerful people. Instead, he points to a carpenter from Nazareth. Because John knows that outward appearance is not what's needed. What's needed is an inward commitment. And that God wants to be as close to each one of us as the belts that we wrap around our waist. That 
belt of righteousness, one that we can put on as we prepare for the holy possibilities that are coming to us. We Christians are called to righteousness and faithfulness to spread the word about God's peaceable kingdom coming to earth. But God often demands that we go where we weren't planning on going. You know, I had planned on one thing and that's not exactly what God had in mind. You know, I had planned on doing things and then other things happened. Sometimes that's choices. You know, you decide that you'd rather take a position here than there. But sometimes it's families that we weren't quite anticipating and we feel an obligation or a joy to be able to join together. Or perhaps it's a sickness. Or for me, it's just getting old. And as we get old, we get a little bit more weak, a little bit more unsure of things in terms of walking and in terms of health. But still, I was talking to someone this morning and he said, you know, I woke up this morning and that makes it a good day. And that's what we're called to as Christians is to rejoice that God has given us another day, a good day, a day to practice his righteousness and his faithfulness in reliance on him. Not to seek power, or prestige, or property, but rather to seek Jesus. So my challenge to you this morning is, where is Jesus leading you? Where does it fit in with what you're going to do? Are you willing to alter for his particular desires? You see, Christ, Messiah, the God-man, calls us to wear his belt in our daily lives, the belt of faithfulness. And righteousness. Will you pray with me? God, we give you thanks that we can anticipate the coming of the divine and joining with the human in the babe of Jesus Christ. We give you thanks that we can celebrate in this time. We give you thanks that he is there showing us how to be righteous and how to be faithful. And we pray, God, that even our steps this afternoon and throughout the coming week would be ones that are directed by you, that we might indeed wear the righteousness and the faithfulness of your belt on us. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.